Hi there, Karen Roby here with ZDNet talking with Jason Perlow and Jason Cipriani today for Jason Squared. And not so much of a debate today, but more of a discussion. A Huawei has certainly been in the news a good bit lately. Lots of information surrounding this company and implications for other companies potentially down the road. Uh, let's start with you, Jason Perlow. Just your thoughts on this and what all is going on here with Huawei. Sure. So a little bit of background here. And by the way, my voice is a little shocked because I have a cold, so you just have to bear with me. But Huawei was uh, over a week ago, which is placed on the U.S. Commerce Department's entity list. Now, when you place a company on an entity list, that means that you cannot trade or sell anything to one of these companies that is on this list without expression of the United States government. Effectively, this is a kill switch. It says nobody can do business with this company that's an American firm. Um, that includes a large number of Huawei's uh, technology suppliers. That includes Google, Microsoft, Qualcomm, Broadcom, Xilinx, um, and quite a few others. Um, now, because of it, this is steamrolled and is extended to companies that are outside the United States, um, which includes Arm Limited. Arm Limited is a British company that uh, de designs processors. They license essentially the blueprints the DNA of these processor designs to many companies, including Apple and Samsung and quite a few others, including Huawei. Huawei has a subdivision called HI Silicon, which makes the chips that go into their smartphones and also their switch and communications equipment uh, called the Kirin processor. Now, Huawei actually has these processors manufactured by the company called TSMC. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation. Um, they have manufacturing capabilities in both Taiwan and in China. Now, because this is licensed material, intellectual property, and that ARM has now discontinued their relationship with Huawei, Huawei can now not produce these processors under license legally anymore, which is a problem because it means where they get their chips. Well, their alternative in this situation is to create these chips without license, effectively flying the pirate flag. Now, in China, ARM operates as a joint venture between themselves and a private equity uh, investment firm that is Chinese-based, which has about over 50% of the ownership. If things deteriorate between the United States and China, this, this joint venture could dissolve and essentially tell the British parent ARM to pound sand, and then suddenly China goes off on its way and produces its own ARM chips you know, essentially a fork. That would be very bad for international commerce because it would mean those chips would probably be blacklisted from imported in every single Western company, country in the world. So it's it's not a good it's not a good it's not a good look for Huawei. Um, I don't really know what other recourses they have. Um, they can't really buy from other chip suppliers um, that have treaty negotiations with the United States. It's it's a tough uh, rut for them to be in. All right, Jason, uh, you know, and to Jason Cipriani, we'll flip to you here. Uh, if it's not really a trade issue we're talking about and more of security, then who's next? Yeah, if that's what it comes down to, and, you know, the whole uh, pitch here is from the U.S. government is that the Chinese government has strong influence within Huawei and they either at the flip of a switch or a request or already done can insert backdoors into communication networks, uh, computers or smartphones. What's to 
stop U.S. government from adding OnePlus or Lenovo or any other of these Chinese-based uh, big technology companies to the same list. And, you know, to echo off of what Jason was saying, dealing with the ARM licensing process is only one aspect here that they have to figure out, or they being Huawei. The other is they're no longer allowed to use the official Android fork with Google's full support where it provides access to Chrome and Gmail and Google Maps and all the other Google services that many of us know and love. And I realize in China, that's not such a big deal, but outside of the world, as the number two smartphone maker in the world being Huawei, that's a huge deal. And the company has said that they're working on their own proprietary uh, smartphone software that will run Android apps, but even then, they're not going to be allowed in the U.S. market, and it's still a huge hurdle for them to overcome. But going back to your question, Karen, yeah, I, I, we don't know where this ends if the security issue is really the issue. And, you know, with President Trump's comment uh, earlier this week or late last week that Huawei can now be a bargaining chip for the trade agreement with China, it, if Huawei was as big of a security risk that the U.S. government is saying, that they shouldn't even be involved in negotiations. They're, they should not be a bargaining chip at all. That comment along with the threat level assessment saying, you know, we cannot do any business with them at all, just don't jive together. And realistically, we've heard for what, 10 years now that Huawei is a threat, Huawei's a threat, don't do business with them, be cautious. But we've never seen a shred of evidence as the, an American citizen. I've never seen it. Um, I don't think Jason has. And no. And, you know, I realize this is sensitive information. There's likely top secret clearances. But I'd love to see the U.S. government give us and the rest of the world, for that matter, a little bit of evidence to prove that, hey, you know, Huawei really is a threat. We should take it more seriously. And these bans are justified because they're really, you know, it could shut down Huawei if things go that far. Uh, as a company, the company we know it now, I mean, they got the ARM stuff they have to get around and the Android operating system. Uh, those are two huge hurdles they have to overcome. Yeah, and I, I don't know that we'll ever uh, get that security information or even bits of it, as you were saying there, Jason. Uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, we touched on this for just a little bit about, uh, you know, some of these like regional car uh, carriers, you know, in rural America, places like that that are dependent on that. What does this all mean for them? Uh, Jason Perlow, we'll have you answer that. Well, yeah, this is really the, the, the real issue here, right? So all the suppliers of technology, first of all, are going to lose tremendous amounts of income um, by not being able to do business with Huawei. Google, one of them is, is expected anywhere between a 200 and, and $350 million a year loss for, for not being able to license that stuff. Um, Qualcomm and some of the others are going to lose a lot of money. But the real, the real people who are going to get hurt in this situation are going to be regional, uh, mostly rural cell phone carriers, right? So your typical cell phone carrier might need to, if they have to replace all their Huawei core switch equipment and their transmitter equipment, they may have anywhere between you know, $20 million and $60 million worth of equipment that they need to replace. Now, that is not something a small regional carrier can do. Um, it may cause them to go out of business. Now, that's kind of the, the silver lining in this is that uh, the T-Mobile Sprint merger, one of the requirements of that merger is that they have to be able to service, I believe, 90% of, of the United States, uh, including regional, ca regional areas uh, when that completes. But that just makes you know, T-Mobile Sprint the winner in the, in, the, in, the, <laughs> in the local small carrier war. And I don't think that's going to be very good for competition. Um, 
So um, as far as, as, as the overall 5G adoption, uh, that's going to slow things down because obviously Qualcomm equipment is very expensive. So is Eric and Erickson equipment. And, and if all these, if all these regional and, and, and national carriers have to go with that, that stuff, um, it's going to be very expensive and, and, and it's going to slow down adoption and it's going to slow down, uh, you know, consumers uh, getting into 5G at all. Yeah, no doubt there. Uh, all right, Jason Cipriani, we're going to go to you for final thoughts on this. I think, you know, after we get this Huawei stuff figured out, they have a 90-day window until the middle of August uh, where Google can still allow them and work with them to supply security updates. But once that, if something isn't worked out and they are indeed the security risk that the U.S. government says they are, looking forward, we have to kind of look to see who the big winners here are, right? And not, I don't know necessarily that they're winning, but they're going to benefit the most from Huawei's uh, predicament. And obviously the biggest name there is Samsung. They're the biggest smartphone vendor in the world. They're Android based. They're not, they're in Korea. You know, they don't have to worry about these political, the political environment impacting exactly what's going on with them. And then you have the smaller care or smaller manufacturers as well, like OnePlus. that, you know, they're just making their big push into the US that are now available in T-Mobile with the OnePlus 7 Pro. Then you have like the likes of Lenovo and other makers that are, are a little bit smaller, but they're going to benefit from all the people, especially yeah. globally, who are diehard, diehard Android users who are looking for a device to replace their Huawei P20, P30 Pro, whatever it may be. Yep, Samsung could definitely come out ahead uh, here with this. Well, guys, I appreciate your insight on this and our discussion about Huawei. Jason Perlow, we certainly hope uh, that you get to feeling better soon, and we will see everybody back here for our next edition of Jason Squared. Thanks for watching.